Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 178, Innocent the Fourth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So before diving into today's Pope, uh, we have to recap really where we are. And and this might be a good time to mention that sometimes these stories, we get caught up in individual episodes and it's hard to remember where where this story has come from and where we're going to. And if this is your first time listening to a Habemus Papam episode, you know, maybe this isn't the best place to start. Maybe go back and, and try maybe one of the recap episodes and then kind of go forward from there, go all the way back to the beginning. But for the past few episodes... The Pope has been fighting with Frederick II, the Holy Roman Emperor. They wanted him to go on crusade. He wouldn't. He tried to undermine the Pope at home. He tried to establish himself as the absolute ruler of Italy. And finally, at the death of Gregory IX, he had marched an army to the doorstep of Rome. And while the army was no longer there, the threat remained ominously at the death of Celestine IV, two weeks after his election in 1241. When Celestine was elected, five of the eight cardinals fled Rome to Agnani, which is one of the papal estates outside of Rome. It's going to become more and more important over the next couple episodes. The three cardinals remaining in Rome contained one Frederick supporter who was imprisoned by Senator Matteo Rosso, who was the secular ruler in Rome, and then two, we might say, normal cardinals. These two cardinals wrote a letter to all the rest of the cardinals, urging them to come back to Rome to elect a new pope. And they wrote back, heck no, the last conclave, if you remember from last episode, was horrendous. A couple of people died because of the conditions, and one of the cardinals in Rome is in jail. So they said, you come to us. And then on top of that, Frederick II still had two other cardinals in prison that he'd been using as bargaining chips. Well, this went back and forth for almost two years. We had two years without a pope. In the meantime, Frederick II was trying to get a pope that he wanted out of the whole situation. He tried bargaining with the cardinals he had under his control. He tried inciting various factions in the area. He returned to Rome in 1242 with his army and laid siege to the city a second time. Now, thankfully, he was defeated again by Senator Matteo Rosso Orsini, who managed to cobble together enough forces and enough allies to drive Frederick away in August of 1242. But still, it was a bad situation. People were starting to get impatient, including St. Louis IX, the King of France, who wrote to the cardinals to please get to work. Frederick released one of the two cardinals he had in prison, and then in the spring of 1243, the second. Finally, in June of 1243, with Frederick's army out of the area, the cardinals met in Ignani, where they elected Sinibaldo Fieschi, who, because he wanted a return to peace and innocence, took the name Innocent IV. So let's go back and meet Sinibaldo Fieschi. He was born in Genoa around 1190 to a powerful and wealthy northern Italian family with close ties to the Hohenstaufen emperors. They had been granted territory by Frederick Barbarossa, and that grant was confirmed by Frederick II. So the fact that Sinibaldo was elected pope during a papal conflict with Frederick II was exciting news for the emperor. Sinibaldo was the youngest of five brothers, and probably still a young man when his father Ugo died. He was cared for by his uncle, the Bishop of Parma, who made sure that Sinibaldo was educated first in Parma, then in Bologna, where he studied canon law. Now, after the period studying in Bologna, Sinibaldo was appointed a canon of the Cathedral of Parma by his uncle, 
and probably at this time met Cardinal Ugolino, the future Gregory IX, who had come to Parma to try and reconcile the fighting Italian city-states to prepare the way for the crusade. He might have caught the attention of Cardinal Ugolino because soon he was in Rome, and when Cardinal Ugolino was elected Pope Gregory in 1227, he appointed Sinibaldo as the Cardinal Priest of San Lorenzo in Lucina and as the Vice Chancellor of the Holy See, a fairly prestigious position for a pretty young priest. He was later appointed the governor of the northern territory of the papal states, the Marches of Ancona, which stretch along the Adriatic coast up to Ravenna. And he was involved during this time in helping with the multiple excommunications of Frederick II by Gregory IX. On October 20th, 1243, the new pope was able to enter Rome and to be installed in his cathedral at the Lateran. And though he came from a pro-Frederick family, his time spent with Gregory IX meant that Innocent was likely to follow a similar course as his mentor when it came to the emperor. There's still a lot of contention with Frederick that's going to have to be sorted out. And before he entered Rome, Innocent had sent cardinals to Frederick to negotiate for peace. And those negotiations continued until an agreement was reached in 1244. But Frederick broke the agreement almost immediately. So this conflict with the emperor is going to continue. Before that happened, though, Innocent appointed 10 cardinals in, on May 28, 1244. If you remember, the last conclave only had 10 living cardinals present. Two had died because of the bad conditions during the conclave, which elected Celestine IV. And so the card, College of Cardinals was tremendously low on cardinals, which makes papal elections challenging, to say the least. Now, Frederick was stirring up the people of Rome and various families against the pope, and at the same time making overtures that he wanted peace, even though he had just broken the previous peace deal. Eventually, Innocent realized they had to get out of Italy, where he was in danger from Frederick's army, which made negotiations difficult. So he got on a boat and sailed home to the town of Genoa. After getting sick there and recovering, he left Genoa and crossed the Alps, heading for the French city of Lyon, which he reached in December of 1244. It's in Lyon that Innocent called an ecumenical council, summoning the bishops of the world along with the emperor to come and hash out the difficulties facing the church. The council was scheduled for late 1245, and it was fairly small in size compared to the Lateran councils before it. But it did feature the Patriarch of Constantinople and the Emperor of Constantinople, which you remember are both Latin right at this point because the Crusaders had taken Constantinople in the Fourth Crusade. But it also had bishops from France and England, but not that many from imperial territory, probably because Frederick didn't allow it. The council mainly focused on Frederick and not on theological issues. The homily that Innocent preached at the beginning set the tone for the council in which he compared the state of the church to the five wounds of Christ. The five wounds of the church were the sins of the clergy, the Muslim conquest of the Holy Land, the great schism with the Greeks, the invasion of the Mongols, and the persecution of the church by the emperor, who at that very moment was still besieging Rome. At the council, the crimes of Frederick II and his animosity to the church were gone through, and Innocent renewed his excommunication and pronounced him deposed as Holy Roman Emperor. But he didn't really have the teeth to make those proclamations effective. It also proclaimed the preaching of a new crusade, which will be known to history as the Seventh Crusade, which would be led by St. Louis IX, the King of France. Now, this council also gives us another cool point in history, and that is that the first council of Lyon, cardinals were given their red hats for the first time. The story goes that a noblewoman wrote to the Pope that she mistook an abbot for a cardinal and a cardinal for a normal priest and treated them with the wrong level of respect and deference, and she wanted something to distinguish them. Now, whether or not that's true, it does seem that there was a need to distinguish cardinals in their garb, so they were given red hats to set them apart in the council. These hats are the galeros that you see on a cardinal's coat of arms. They're these wide-brimmed hats with tassels. 
which you don't really see cardinals wear them anymore. But if you want to see one for yourself, go to a church where a cardinal is buried. So, for example, St. Patrick's Cathedral, St. Westminster's Cathedral in London, or the Cathedral of St. Matthew's in Washington, D.C., the tradition is to hang the cardinal's glero from the ceiling of the church where a cardinal is buried. Innocent remained in Lyon from 1245 until 1250. Frederick II, you can bet, was pretty upset by the result of the First Council of Lyon. He decided to go in person, but while he was on his way, he was delayed by an armed revolt in Parma in 1247, the Pope's home area, and led by some of the Pope's own family. He besieged Parma, but was defeated in a stunning upset by the people of Parma on February 18, 1248. He lost a large portion of his army and a lot of his money, and he never really recovered. Frederick II, the wonder of the world, Stupermundi, as his nickname was, died on December 13, 1250, in Apulia in northern Italy. His son, Conrad IV, succeeded him technically as the king of Sicily, but we're not going to have another Holy Roman Emperor on the scene for several years. Innocent made his way back to Italy in 1251, now that Frederick was dead, and he camped out in Perugia in Umbria, the town next door to Assisi. We should use this opportunity to take a break from the fight with the Holy Roman Empire to talk briefly about the East. While Frederick II refused to go on crusade, St. Louis IX of France did answer the call of the First Council of Lyon, and he set out for the Holy Land in 1248. He followed the strategy outlined by the Sixth Crusade by attacking Egypt first, before moving on to the Holy Land. Capturing the port city of Damietta, St. Louis' forces pushed on to Cairo, but were brought to battle at Mansura, about 50 miles up the Nile from Damietta. The battle was a disaster. The Muslim army left the gates of the city open, and the crusaders, thinking the town was deserted, rushed inside, but it was a trap. Most of the forces inside the town were slaughtered. St. Louis himself was captured. The Muslim victory basically ended the crusade, which gave the name to the town Mansura, which means victory in Arabic. After being ransomed, King Louis tried to negotiate with the sultan, but was unsuccessful. He set sail for Acre in the Holy Land, where he tried to continue the crusade, but by 1254, he ran out of money and was forced to return to France. Shortly after the crusade, the Latin Empire at Constantinople also fell. The city was retaken by the Byzantine Greek Empire in northern Asia Minor on 25th of July, 1261. And the Greek Emperor Michael VIII was restored to his palace. So with that out of the way, let's head back to Italy, and especially to Sicily, for the continuation of this conflict between the Hohenstaufen family and Pope Innocent IV. Now, if you remember, the Holy See has never liked the idea of Sicily being held by the family of the Holy Roman Emperor. Having imperial forces on both sides of Rome places an unbearable tension on the papal states. And technically, at one point, Sicily was placed under the feudal structure of the papacy. So Innocent immediately began a policy of trying to remove the Hohenstaufen family from control there. Conrad IV's illegitimate brother Manfred was ruling Sicily, nominally as the regent of his younger brother, who was not of age, and Innocent tried to get Sicily to be removed from their control and placed under the direct control of the Papal States, but he failed. Then he sought to make an agreement with another foreign power to take over Sicily from the Hohenstaufen. So in 1253, he turned to Charles of Anjou. This is someone we're going to know uh, quite a bit over the following episode. He's the younger brother of St. Louis, and he's fairly ambitious. Now this deal fell through initially, so the Pope then turned to Edmund, the Prince of England, to try and take it over, but this wouldn't work out either. In 1254, Conrad IV died at the age of 26, leading his younger son, Conradine, technically ruling Sicily. At this news, Innocent went south to try and assert some papal control over the situation, 
and he met with the stakeholders in Italy at the papal residence at Agnani. He threatened to invade the kingdom of Sicily if it wasn't turned over to the papacy, and it seems that at first Manfred, who was still really in charge, agreed to recognize Innocent as the ruler. But shortly thereafter, Manfred reneged. He defeated Innocent's army on December 2nd, 1254, and Innocent, who was at Naples at that time, didn't last much longer. Now, we're nearing the end of Innocent's story, so what do we make of him? Chroniclers at the time paint a negative picture of his personality, saying he was overly strict and grasping for money. He was harsh towards heretics. He ordered the Talmud of the Jews to be burned in Rome. He was constantly fighting for political control, and it's easy to see him primarily as a secular ruler. Yet we can't take those declarations at face value since usually they're set by people who had an axe to grind. Innocent's conflict with the Holy Roman Empire was for the good of the church, at least in his mind to keep it out from underneath the secular control of Frederick II, who was incredibly amoral and an anti-Christian ruler. That fight did enable the church to have some degree of autonomy to continue its spiritual mission. It wasn't purely a secular fight. But the reason I put in this part of the podcast in the first place is because after studying innocent, the spiritual side is really hard to see. Caught up as he was with fighting secular powers, it's naturally focused on that. And it seems like those struggles characterized his pontificate more than others. Pope Innocent IV died at Naples on December 7, 1254. He was buried there at the Cathedral of San Gennaro. He was succeeded by Alexander IV, and we will talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.